The text for our sermon this morning is Hebrews chapter 5. We will read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 5, 1 through 4. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. This time I want to call our kids down to the front for their children's sermon. Last week, we learned about a man, or the man, called a priest in the Old Testament. A priest was a special minister of God who offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. And a sacrifice, you remember, is when a person came to worship God, he had to bring a lamb, which would be killed and burned. The lamb was a picture of Jesus dying in the place of his people for their sins. Then the priest would pray and ask God to accept the sinner and to forgive his sins. In this way, the priest was also a picture of Jesus, who prays for his people that God would forgive their sins because of his sacrifice. Now the verses that we just read tell us about how a person became a priest. And the first thing that is important to know is that the priest was a man just like those he served. The reason why this is important is because the priest was going to God for them. So he had to be like them. The lamb was taking the place of the sinner, paying for its sins, and the priest was taking that payment to God for them. Now, you know that Jesus is God, but when Jesus came to earth, he was also a man. He is only one person but he is in two natures. He is 100% God and 100% man. You see, if Jesus were God and not man, we still wouldn't be able to come to him. And even if we could, we would be afraid to. But because Jesus is also a man, we know that he's like us, except that he's not a sinner. Jesus was a baby. Jesus was a toddler. Jesus was a small kid like you guys. Jesus was a teenager. Jesus was a young man and Jesus was a grown-up. And that means that he knows what it's like to live at every stage of life. He knows what it's like to be like you. So when you pray to Jesus, you can know that he will accept you and forgive you. Now I bet you don't know this, but many times... You do things that are wrong, and your dad and mom don't say anything. Not always, but sometimes. And you don't get in trouble. And do you know why? Because they remember what it was like to be a six-year-old or an eight-year-old. They understand how things are for you. And that's why God gave his people priests that were like them. He wanted the man who went to God for them to be kind and understanding. The priest was a man and a sinner. So he shouldn't say mean things to them when they're bringing their sacrifices. Why do you keep doing this? You're not really sorry, are you? If you were, you wouldn't be here all the time. Don't don't say you're sorry. Just stop doing this. Yeah, you see, that's mean, right? That's not loving. 
And that's certainly not the kind of thing that a man who is also a sinner should be saying to people. Well, our verses tell us that because the work of the priest was so special, no one could just decide, hey, that's what I want to be when I grow up. You had to be called by God to be a priest. And that's also a picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus was the Savior of His people even when He was a baby. But He didn't begin His work until God called Him to it. Now, we read some verses earlier from the Bible book of Leviticus. And we read there that when a man was made a priest, he had water poured over him. And this was like a picture showing that he must be clean from sin in order to serve God and God's people as a priest. Only then would God accept him. And then we read from Matthew chapter 3 how Jesus went to a preacher named John and John poured water over him. And when Jesus came up from the water, God spoke from heaven saying, This is my Son that I love. I am pleased with Him. It showed that Jesus was clean from sin. He was not a sinner. And God would accept His work as our priest. And then John told the people who were listening to Him preach, This is the Lamb of God. And this tells us that God will not accept the work of anyone else. Jesus is the only priest for God's people. No one else can use that name truthfully. Jesus is also the Lamb that was sacrificed for God's people. There's no other way to be saved from sin and to live with God forever than through Jesus. Now we'll pray and then you can return to your seats. O Heavenly Father, Thy Word is perfect, restoring the soul, making wise the simple and enlightening the eyes of the blind, the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. We, however, are by nature blind and incapable of doing anything good, and Thou wilt relieve only those who have a broken and contrite heart and who revere Thy Word. We entreat Thee that Thou wouldst illumine our darkened minds with Thy Holy Spirit and give us a humble heart, free from all haughtiness and carnal wisdom, in order that we, hearing Thy Word, may rightly understand it and regulate our lives accordingly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's recap what we've learned so far. In chapter 1, Paul describes Christ's person, his nature and character, showing that he is both God and man, and that God has invested him with the realities of all the types and shadows of the Old Testament churchly offices. In chapters 2 and 3... Paul sets forth Christ's offices as prophet and king. And he does this by comparing him to, Matt, to Moses and Joshua. And then in chapter 4, Paul begins to take up Christ's priesthood, which he treats in general terms. Paul begins this chapter, chapter 5, by comparing Christ with the Levitical priests. He shows us how they were similar and how they differed. And the whole point of this approach is to show what Christ's office really is. And the way that he does this is by showing that the Levitical priesthood was ordained on Christ's account. Now we actually noted this fact last Sunday, that God instituted the priesthood as a foreshadowing of Christ. It was anticipating something greater. And that something greater was Jesus. If you recall, last Sunday we saw how it would be the height of presumption
for a man to appoint himself into this position. He would have no ground upon which to stand since he is a sinner too. And the only reason then that the Levitical priesthood was a workable arrangement was because God ordained it as built with Christ in view. On its own, separated from the priesthood of Christ, the Levitical priesthood would have been an exercise in futility. Our text then this morning tells us what kind of being the high priest must be. He must be taken from among men to serve them. And the implications of this will serve as our outline for this morning. First point, that man has sinned. Secondly, that a mediator is necessary. And thirdly, that God appointed priests. So the first point, that man has sinned. The very existence of a priesthood implies that man has sinned. Sinless man has no need of a mediator. In Genesis, we read how before the fall, God came and walked in the garden with man. There was sweet, unmediated fellowship. Since there was no wall of sin between God and man, there was a common ground of righteousness which provided a way of communion. Man truly was made in the image of God, which Scripture defines as righteousness and true holiness. But the fall changed all this. Man, once created in the image and likeness of God, became the image of the devil. The fall was man's declaration of war against God. And that is no exaggeration. The Scriptures use this very language. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And this enmity can be seen in the very first interaction between God and man after the fall. Rather than voluntarily come to God and admit their fault, rather than bow before God and acknowledge their sin, Adam and Eve hide and then lie and pass the buck. And yet even in this event, the grace of God for His people can be seen. And first of all, God came into the garden prefiguring Christ coming into the world, the realm of sin and evil, in order to call His sinful creatures to Himself. Secondly, God sealed His covenant of grace with Adam and Eve by a promise of a Savior who would come to crush the head of the serpent. And thirdly, God instituted sacrifices for sin. God killed lambs and clothed Adam and Eve with their skins. These sacrifices preached the Gospel. The innocent lambs died in the place of the sinners, Adam and Eve. And then the lambs' skins became clothing to hide Adam and Eve's shameful nakedness. This was a foreshadowing of Christ dying in the place of His people and imputing to them His righteousness, clothing them in what the Scriptures call the robe of righteousness. The promise of the seed of the woman is the first mention in the Bible of the Gospel. Now let's reiterate our main point. The need for a priest presupposes sin which needs atoning. Now the Levitical priests could not in actual fact atone for the sins of God's people because they too were sinners. The fact that God ordained sinners into the priesthood guaranteed that the Levitical priesthood was a temporary arrangement. If God was 
forgiving sins, the sins of His people through their ministry, then there had to be something behind their ministry which gave it efficacy. In Psalm 110, the Father says to the Son, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If the Levitical priesthood removed the sins of God's people on its own, what need was there for the priesthood of Christ? And that leads us to our second point, that a mediator is necessary. Sin erected a wall of separation between God and man. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says, But your sins have separated you from your God. And it's not so much that God won't allow sinful men to come to Him directly, as it is that that's just impossible. And that's not even taking into account our native inability as sinners. It's not that we don't repent, it's that we won't and can't without some sovereign act of God on our behalf. The only way then that fellowship could be restored is if God took the initiative. And He did. He instituted the office of priest to stand between Him and the sinners He wished to restore to fellowship. And therefore, the office of priest is a display of God's grace in Christ. But as our text tells us, these priests were sinners too. I mean, all mankind are sinners. There's no other pool of potential candidates. And so God indicated the necessity of a sinless mediator by instituting sacrifices for the priests themselves. Now, last week we read in Leviticus 9 how Aaron had to offer several sacrifices for himself before his first official act as priest. And this morning, we read that sacrifices had to be offered for him and his sons even to install them into the office of priest. Also, they required a special consecration done by way of a ritual washing. All new priests began their ministrations with this ceremony. Our Gospel reading of the baptism of Jesus shows us that this was Jesus' consecration into the office of high priest. And we'll come back to that point later. Again, the reason why this arrangement of priests who were themselves sinners, why it worked, is because God ordained it as built upon the priesthood of Christ. God had a view to the priesthood of Christ and His perfect offering. That's why He had regard to the sacrifices offered by the Levitical priests. The very existence of a sinful priesthood demanded a true sinless priest who would mediate for God's people. When God sacrificed lambs to clothe Adam and Eve, when God instituted the sacrificial system, when He instituted the priesthood, He was proclaiming the Gospel. He was foretelling of Christ. It was only by the grace of God in Christ that the Levitical priests could successfully fulfill their duty of mediating for the people of God. Since they themselves were sinners, their ministrations were polluted as well. If it weren't for the fact that the Spirit of Christ was actually working through them, their service would have been invalid. Let me show you what I mean. In Exodus chapter 28, we read this. You shall also take a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord, that it may be on the turban. 
it shall be on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. Notice that phrase, the iniquity of the holy things. This phrase is telling us two very important things. One, the ministrations of the priests were not pure because they themselves were sinners. They polluted their service with their own sinfulness. And two, the priests bore in their services the sins of God's people for whom they made atonement. Now, question 62 of our catechism teaches us that first point, doesn't it? We're taught that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. I've used this metaphor before, and I'll use it again, because I think it best describes what we're saying. If you take the purest water imaginable and then run it through a dirty pipe, when it comes out the other side, it will no longer be clean. When you take all the good works and service to God that the Holy Spirit inspires in our hearts, and then you run them through our corrupt nature, these things will come out tainted with sin. Now, the second point is a clear presentation of the gospel doctrine of substitution. The priests bore in figure the sins of the people for whom they made atonement. Christ bore in fact the sins of the people for whom He made atonement. The sacrificial system taught this doctrine. It was displayed before the eyes of the Old Testament church every single day. The daily sacrifices were an implicit acknowledgement of the sinfulness of the people, and the individual sacrifices were an explicit acknowledgement of it. When an Old Testament believer offered these sacrifices upon God's altar, he was acting in faith. He was expressing his belief in the ministry of the great high priest, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, who would offer himself and intercede for him before the judgment seat of God. Now, I hope you've noticed something that our text says, because this is very important, and it is our third point, that God appointed priests. Now, Paul isn't just speaking here of the person of Christ, as our priest, he's also speaking of the very office of priest itself. No man takes this honor to himself. God not only creates offices in his church, he also appoints who fills them. Note the words among men. These words teach us something very important about our Savior. To express this, I want to try and distill Lord's Days 5 and 6 of our Catechism into a few brief sentences because they express exactly what these words teach us. We deserve eternal punishment for our sins. And the only way to be received back into favor with God is if His justice be satisfied. But there's no way that a sinful man can satisfy God's justice. Besides, every day we increase our debt to God through both our actual sins and our polluted good works. And therefore, the only way to be restored back into God's favor is if someone else makes satisfaction for us. But no mere creature can satisfy for us. Because on the one hand, God will not punish another creature for the sins man has committed. God would not accept, for instance, the mediation of of an angel. Angels don't share our nature, so they can't be our representatives 
before God. And further, since God's wrath against sin is infinite, no mere creature could endure this punishment. And that means that the mediator who can satisfy for us must meet two requirements. He must be a man. Our text affirms this when it says that the priests were chosen from among the people. But not only must this mediator be a man, he must be a perfectly righteous man, which rules out all the sons of Adam. He must also be more powerful than all creatures in order to bear the burden of God's wrath. And that means that he must also be God. Now, only one person fits this description. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is in one person, both very God and a real righteous man. Now, that's, this is the express teaching of Scripture. We see it in the promise of God made in Eden, in the promises of God to the patriarchs. We see it in the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. We see it foretold of by the prophets, and we see it fulfilled in Jesus. Our text tells us several things about the Levitical priesthood, and in these things we can see how they were fulfilled by Christ and how Christ was superior. So one, he was taken from among the people. Two, he was a public figure. Three, people came to him with sacrifices. Four, he was not exempt from human infirmities. And five, he did not presumptuously enter this office. Now, we needed a mediator who was both God and man in one person. We have that in Jesus. He was taken from among the people, as our text says. In Scripture, the people of God are frequently called Jesus' brethren. We see this in Psalm 22.22, Matthew 28.10, and Romans 8.29, to name a few among many other places. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the priest was a public figure. He didn't serve himself, he served the people. Jesus says of himself in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Thirdly, no one came to the Levitical priest empty-handed. You had to bring a sacrifice when you came. Christ's priesthood is noticeably superior to the Levitical priesthood in this regard, isn't it? Not only is he the high priest, but he is also the lamb. He provides the sacrifice. And this was prophesied of way back in Genesis 22.8 when Abraham declared God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now not only is he saying that God would provide the lamb for sacrifice, he's saying that God himself is the lamb for the sacrifice. Fourthly, the priests were to show compassion on their fellow sinners. Now we talked about this a bit last week that it, it wasn't always the case that priests were compassionate and understanding. But they should have been. From a personal standpoint, they were just as guilty and sinful as anyone who came to them to administer sacrifices. We noted that this was one of the reasons for all of the, the pomp and ceremony. When the priest entered into his official duties, he had to go through a whole host of rituals. He had to wash in a carefully prescribed way. And then he had a whole array of clothing. This truly was a case of the clothes make the man. When the priest put on his robe, his ephod, his belt, his turban, his breastplate, and any other elements of his official garb, he was no longer just Aaron or just Phineas. He was 
the fully authorized prophetic foreshadowing of the great high priest and mediator, Jesus Christ. Now our text mentions, but doesn't focus so much, on the fact that the priest was a sinner, because we've dealt with that in earlier passages. What's in view here is that he was an ordinary human being with all the same ordinary human weakness and frailty as anyone that he served. Priesthood didn't miraculously endue him with mystical powers whereby he never got tired, hungry, thirsty, or sleepy. And here we have yet another picture of Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus was weary from walking from place to place, that Jesus hungered, that Jesus thirsted, that Jesus bore our infirmities. These are all ways to assure us that although he was undoubtedly God, nevertheless, he was a true man. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't some kind of divine human hybrid. He was truly a man, flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. Jesus was superior to the Levitical priests in that he willingly partook of these infirmities. Aaron had no choice. Jesus willingly bore such infirmities in order to save his people. And most importantly of all, Jesus was sinless. That's why God declares of him in Psalm 110, you are a priest forever. Sinners, even redeemed sinners, grow old and die. But Jesus lives forever. He willingly suffered death, but not as a sinner, but as our sacrifice, as the Lamb of God. When Scripture calls Jesus the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, it's telling us that before the Old Testament sacrificial system was even instituted, Jesus' death for His people was regarded by God. When God instituted the sacrificial system, the death of Jesus is what He had in view. The efficacy of those sacrifices hinged solely and exclusively on Jesus' sacrifice. Now, it is precisely because Jesus is a man, as well as God, that we are called to confidence in trusting Him. If, if He were an angel, He would share no common ground with us. He really couldn't understand us or sympathize with us. But because Jesus assumed our human nature, He has lived in our flesh. He was an embryo. He was a fetus. He was a newborn, a toddler, a prepubescent, an adolescent, a young adult, and a full-grown man. He experienced life at all stages to be the Savior of men at all stages of life. And although Jesus never sinned, He did face temptation. And I'm willing to say that He faced temptation that dwarfs anything we ever face. And therefore, He is a tower of refuge to those who trust in Him. Jesus saves His people because He has lived their life. He didn't just walk a mile in our shoes. He walked from the womb to the tomb to the throne. The fifth thing that our text tells us is that those priests did not put themselves into that position. We discussed this a bit last week. For a man who is a sinner to take it upon himself to stand before a holy God on behalf of his fellow sinners would be audacity that defies description. When two men are equally sinners before God, what makes one preferable to the other? Nothing. Neither of them have the right to assume this office. The only access anyone had to this honor was that he was appointed, that he was chosen by God. 
And our sermon text for next Sunday is going to make this exact point about Christ. He himself waited until God appointed him into this office before he began functioning in it. Now, a little while ago, we talked about how Christ's baptism was analogous to the washing of the priests to consecrate them into their office. I wonder if you've noticed that before Jesus, that, that Jesus never did or said anything in his work as Redeemer until he was consecrated into this office at his baptism. And there we see the Father acknowledging his fitness for the task by declaring from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist announces, Behold the Lamb of God. Now we are alienated from God and His service until a priest interposes for us. And a priest without a sacrifice is no peacemaker between God and man. Without sacrifice, sins are not atoned for, and the wrath of God is not pacified. And I want to say that this is why God obsoleted the Levitical priesthood. Because sinners actually have no sacrifice which they can offer to God. God viewed the Levitical priests through the work of Christ. Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was in virtue of His death. It was His shed blood that actually atoned for the sins of the Old Testament saints. Scripture is full of declarations to this effect. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats, says God in Isaiah 1. In Psalm 50, God asks, Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? The superiority of Christ's priesthood and His sacrifice lies particularly in His perfect obedience. Samuel the prophet said to King Saul, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Would you rather have someone sin against you and then apologize or just have them not sin against you at all in the first place? David takes up this theme in Psalm 40 where Christ speaks of Himself in these words. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. I delight to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Sacrifice for sin was never the whole picture. For a man to be saved, he needs two things. He needs to have his sins paid for. Justice must be satisfied. And this satisfaction must be made by himself or by another. And secondly, man still needs to give to God the debt of perfect obedience. This is what the priests could never provide. Yeah, they could make atonement for sin. But that atonement, its saving virtue is in the blood of Christ, not the blood of bulls, goats, or lambs. But the Levitical priests could not fulfill God's law perfectly on behalf of the people of God. That glory is reserved for Christ. And it seems significant to me when by the ministry of Moses, God called Aaron and his sons to the priesthood, that relegated Moses' descendants to the status of nobodies. The law serves the gospel. And therefore, any religion 
that views its clergy as priests making sacrifice to God, mediating between God and man, is a false religion. The foundation of its existence is a denial of the priesthood of Christ and the sufficiency of His sacrificial atonement. The church no longer offers sacrifices, offerings for sin. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled them. Either his sacrifice is sufficient or it isn't. There are no two ways about it. Any man today who claims to mediate to God for you, to placate God by sacrifice, or to appear uh, before God on your behalf is a liar and a thief. He's usurping the place of Christ, and he will be judged accordingly. If you rely on anything other than the shed blood of Christ as the atonement for your sins, you are thereby deprived of the righteousness of Christ. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Christ's righteousness imputed to you for justification while relying on something else as payment for your sins. And neither can you have Christ's death as atonement for your sins while relying on yourself or something else for your righteousness. Atonement and righteousness are a package deal. You either have Christ or you have nothing. The office of human priest after Christ has come is a spurious and false office. It's a make-believe office created by the rebellious imaginations of men who refuse to submit to the righteousness of God. Nowhere does God command sacrifice to be offered now to Him to satisfy for sins, and God nowhere commands priests to be appointed for such a purpose. There can be no office like this unless these men claim a privilege that exalts them above Christ. And Jesus Himself didn't take the honor to Himself until the command of the Father. There is no salvation except in the way that God has ordained. Justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness of our sins by His substitutionary atonement. All other ways are the ways of death. Let us pray.